0: You're about to spend a million bucks, maybe more, Mm. or just a little bit less. So factor in frustration. And what does frustration mean? That you look at a lot of property and that sometimes you end up with a pointy end and that you miss out. Factor that in. That's the price to pay to actually buy something that you like at a reasonable figure.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to Property Chat with Lachie and Matt. We're really excited about the next few episodes. We've got a special guest with us, Tom Panos. He's one of Australia's absolute leading real estate coaches. He sees so many markets uh, right around the country and has got some really good insights for us to help both buyers and sellers. So Tom, you know, obviously just to give everyone a little bit of an idea of your background first and foremost because this is a podcast that's designed to be for buyers and sellers. So when myself and Matt started out the podcast we really just wanted to help buyers and sellers be better buyers and sellers. Yeah. You know, a lot of uh, information out there and trying to sift through it all and figure out how best to attack the process can be tricky. So for those of you who obviously don't know Tom, one of Australia's leading leading real estate coaches, Tom, you coach so many of Australia's top agents, of course, and as an auctioneer, you're exposed to so much of the market, You know, both all, all around the city. Can you give everyone a little bit of an idea of, of what it is that you do?
0: 95% of the work is in training and development, right? And um, auctioneering like yourself, for me it's only a Saturday thing. Um, But the biggest thing that matters in my life is a a thing called the Real Estate Gym, which is a digital subscription-based online coaching platform that I've had. This is year six. And we've got thousands of members on there. So it's uh, looking after those members, producing content, um, curating content. That's really where my energy goes. Right. A, lot of, a lot of speaking as well, but speaking's a less of it now because of uh, COVID. Um, so a lot of that's been replaced by virtual speaking on Zoom. Mm. Yeah.
2: And, and as Lockheed sort of alluded to, the goal behind the podcast for us was to try and educate buyers and sellers the whole way throughout the process. But as well, in different bits and pieces like a marketplace we're in now, one yeah. of the big things we've found is there's a lot of confusion for both buyers and sellers as to where the market is now, where it will be over the next sort of 30, 60 or 90 days in a more normal market. Pretty easy to sort of track the normal trends, winter, spring, those sorts of things. But um, if you were a buyer or seller, what would you be sort of looking out for now in terms of what you see forecast for the next 30, 60 or 90 days?
0: So if you're a buyer of a principal place of residence, you should be making a decision based on your life, not based on the market. If if you're a person that's buying a home to go live in it with your loved ones, you shouldn't be making that decision based on your forecasts on whether the market's gonna go up or down. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is that the only way that you can actually get the market right is when the market's moved because then you can look back. For instance, if you want to say, hey, I want to try and buy, you know, at the uh, at the bottom of the market, yeah. right? The only way that you know you've bought at the bottom of the market is when the market's actually gone up because you can then look back and say there's a reference point. That was the bottom back then, Not yeah. by that stage it's obviously too late. Not only that, what actually happens is if you actually miss it, there's actually less properties to pick from because the reason why the market then has gone up a bit Mm. is that there's been less stock. Yeah. So uh, to answer your question, you know, what should they be thinking of? If it's a principal place of residence, you should be making a decision based on your life. How is it going to feel like living here? Infrastructure, schools, are we in the right catchment areas? And don't worry too much about whether you're going to save 30, 40 grand because if you buy the wrong house because you bought, you're buying it on the market and not on the house. Trying to buy smart. Yeah, you're going yep. to go sell it yep. in yep. two, three years. And then you're going to have to pay legals and stamp duty and agents commissions, and you're going to have to move. So it's going to be unsettling. So I just, you know, I, I think it's a terrible strategy to ever buy a home that you're going to live in based on, on the market. You base it on your life. Mm. If you're um, someone that's looking to invest, then you've got to turn around and say, hey, if I'm more on the younger side, Capital growth should matter to me more than a yield play. If you're like me, 53, turning 54, I've made the shift in the last three years. Mm. I was after growth all the time, right? Growth all the time. And I've invested a lot in real estate over the last 20, 30 years, you know, blocks of units, um, you know, houses in Newtown and Enmore. That's, you know, I love the inner west. That's where I've invested because I was brought up there. But as I get older, I'm beginning to want set and forget. Yeah, because I don't want the real estate agent ringing me up every ten minutes. Every time I see the phone number, I think, okay, you know, there's repairs involved in this. So you're just looking for you know longer yield plays with mm. stronger tenants that might not have the growth.
1: Yeah. So obviously, at the moment in the current market, there's a lot of buyer frustration. So one of the things we wanted to ask you is you coach a lot of agents on how to be better agents. But if you were to coach a buyer at the moment who keeps missing out they're getting very frustrated by the market what would you say to them?
0: Lachlan, I reckon one of the golden rules that I say to buyers and it was a lesson that was given to me by a Jewish landlord that I managed when we had our own real estate company many years ago he said pay the 5% and what it basically meant is if you want something pay that 5% extra don't sit there thinking to yourself i've got to buy right or i'm not buying mm. pay the 5% that would be the first thing the second thing is if you don't have the 5% if you can't <laughs> go that right if you're, stopped, yeah, yeah. you're you're there right so let's talk about that then i would you know turn around and say factor in frustration don't don't think it's an unexpected thing of course it's an expected thing you're about to spend a million bucks maybe more Mm. or just a little bit less. So factor in frustration. And what does frustration mean? That you look at a lot of property and that sometimes you end up with a pointy end and that you miss out. Factor that in. That's the price to pay to actually buy something that you like at a reasonable figure. The third thing is, if you're constantly missing out, if you realise that I'm constantly missing out, and you haven't got the 5%, the next thing to do is you go to the next suburb that's a touch lower, Yeah. right? Yeah. And then you make this your new farm area as a buyer to, um, to focus on. Um, that would be it.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, for a lot of buyers out there, especially at the moment when we are seeing you know different farm areas starting to grow as well that's been something that they've been doing and moving out to different suburbs which has been especially for us on the coast you know we're seeing some of those what we would consider a fringe suburb climbing quite rapidly so it's been it's been outstanding for all the vendors that you know wouldn't necessarily get that level of interest in mm. those suburbs and i
0: think if you're a buyer it's actually got better off now yeah if you're a buyer i actually think to myself you now have more choice yeah yeah and Yes, we were talking off camera and you did indicate there was a property that you auctioned the other day that went 700 over reserve. So what we're seeing is less of those incredible results. They're still there, Mm -hmm. but we're seeing less of them. But we're also beginning to see far more opportunities. And what I've noticed is buyers. You know, we talk about buyers being frustrated. Mm -hmm. What I've actually noticed happening in the market is fear of missing out has actually started to pervade vendors, not buyers so much. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, I'd agree with that, yeah. time. We're, yeah. we're even seeing vendors hesitant to come to market because of that mm. market so hot. It's relative if you're staying in the same area for a lot of them. So
0: yeah, but right now, if you're a buyer and you have been frustrated, I actually think you'll be less frustrated. You know, and depending on whether when this this podcast is actually being streamed, you know. Yeah. Uh, but we're talking about now. We're in June twenty twenty one, right? And um, um, or just about to hit June. Um, And all I'll say to you is that I actually think June, July, August are going to be reasonable periods for buyers. Okay.
1: And I think that's really interesting what you just said there about the fear of missing out for the sellers. I want to sort of focus in on that a little bit because I guess I see that as being the thing that's going to turn this market around. When we have sellers starting to think that the market might be starting to shift or it might be just nearing the peak, that's when we would expect that we're going to see a, a flood of stock. Now, if we have a traditional... Um, a non-traditional winter and we see quite a lot of stock through winter we don't normally um, and then we carry through and have a strong spring you would expect it's going to swing quite a way back the other way.
0: Yeah, and I think that's what's actually happening. I'm thinking to myself that there's a heap of sellers that have realised hey, my house has gone up 20% in the last six, eight months Mm. then they're beginning to read a few of the articles fixed rates, gone up a bit clearance rates eased a little bit more stock coming to the market. Mm. So what you're seeing is a lot of sellers are fast-tracking their plans. They were thinking about hitting the market in spring. Mm. Now they're hitting the market in winter. People aren't travelling overseas because of COVID-19 restrictions. So we're going to see turnover activity and uh, a decent uh, amount of property consumed. The absorption rate in real estate was very heavily focused towards the seller. So every bit of stock that was coming on was being consumed very, very quickly. The absorption rate now is moving a little bit, not to more balance. It's still suited towards the seller. But I've noticed right now that, um, and we talked about it off camera you're not getting 15 people that miss out on a property, you're getting four mm. missing out on properties, yeah. we are getting five, and you know, and, the, and there's always one standout buyer that's paying a little bit more than the others. So um, yeah, I'm thinking to myself, sellers are rushing to get onto the market because they want to recoup good profits that they've made. and. There's a few that are using a strategy called sell high, buy low. Yeah. And that strategy basically is its a very risky strategy because what you're trying to do is sort of say, I'll sell when the market's up here mm. and I'll buy when the market's here, right? Mm. So you've got to actually try and get that right two times. Yes. I you know? wonder what how is... many
2: people have pulled that <laughs> off in their life. It's a, it'd be a pretty tricky thing to get it's right. It's a
0: tricky thing. Mm. And I, 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 I think... I think it's not a good game to play. No. You know, I think there's other games that you can play and, you know, time in the market versus timing the market is a far better game to play.
2: I love that. I think one of the things I've also seen focused on massively at the moment is obviously a lot of noise around underquoting. And it comes up in every hot market because I think sometimes prices move too quick for agents to actually keep up to date with it. And same thing with vendors. You know, I know often I've gone into some listings that you think you've done all the research right and you go in there and you pitch for the business, you miss it. The competitor gets it and you think, there's no way it goes for that. And it does. And they pull that kind of money. Look, we had one that just sold in Terrigal for 750000 more than they bought it 12 months ago and yeah. done nothing to it. Do you think the noise around underquoting has had any impact to, you know, maybe parts of that buyer frustration and maybe seeing some buyers start to put it on hold now?
0: Um, I don't know whether the cause of buyers... Pressing the pause button in buying is got to do with underquoting specifically. I think it's got to do with the number that they wanted to pay mm. and the price it's sold for has disappointed them and they've turned around and they've just decided, hey, I don't wanna I'm not want i am not going to participate in this. It's yeah. it's too hot. I've yeah. seen a lot of that. I've seen people yeah. turn around and say, you know what? I'm I'm walking away. You know, underquoting is an interesting subject because there are two times when people say that's underquoting, but some of the times it's not underquoting.
2: 100%. Right? And that's why I wanted to bring yeah. it up because I thought you of all people would yeah. have seen a lot of this.
0: Yeah. yeah. So under uh, underquoting is the deliberate act of deceiving people as to the number that you thought that the property would sell for yeah. and that you're quoting a figure Under that, to create a bidding frenzy with you being very certain in your head that this was a price bait tactic. Yeah. That's under quoting. Yeah. It's wrong. A property that sells at a figure higher than what you expected and higher than what the buyers expected is not under quoting. If the real estate agent was quoting a figure that they'd actually told the owners, put on an agency agreement. Mm. And we've seen a lot of those. Mm. I mean, you know, the one that you just spoke about. Yeah. The one that you spoke about off camera, Mm -hmm. and I see them regularly, um, is is not under quoting. In fact, Mm. I have a number of times I've had buyers that have said to me, you know what, like, this is a joke. Um, um, And... um, they've even said I'm going to go to the office of fair trading and I actually often give them the phone number I say listen here's here's the phone number because I'm really confident that the agent I'm dealing with has not been using price baiting and then I'll go quickly speak to them and I'll say I want to ask you what were you quoting you know and what was the owner expecting and in all instances, it hasn't been underquoting. It's just, it's gone off. Mm.
2: And, it, and it's disappointing because you go through that process and, you know, as an agent, I know myself, and you guys would probably feel the same as an auctioneer, those underbidders you do genuinely have empathy for because they've missed out, they've put, you know, they've put effort into being there come auction day, whether that's pest and Building, Strata Reports, contracts, all that kind of stuff, and then even just the emotional investment in thinking you're going to get it. So when they do blow out massively, whether it's been, you know, through the agent underquoting or just a genuinely great auction campaign, it is, you know, a little bit disheartening when you hear a buyer sort of push back and say, "Well, I was never in the running." When you, mm. you know you genuinely did everything Agreed. right.
0: Agree a million percent. I yep. agree. I think it's um, it's wrong. These people get emotionally connected and they put a lot of time, energy, and resources into it. And when there has been absolute certainty by the agent that this was not going to be selling anywhere near that figure, mm. they have been um, uh, compliant in deception yeah you know?
1: yeah i think that comes back to like what you were just saying in the agent um, promising something which they can't really guarantee you know it's all well and good to give them a, an indication of where you're expecting it to be but obviously making it clear especially to a buyer in a position where you know it's going to impact them quite a lot that it could well travel above that given the the market conditions mm-hmm. um, and that the seller's reserve or the seller's expectation may not end up being that relevant to what it ends up going for. Um, So I think that's very important. The other thing, of course, Tom, which you were talking about, you know, things that might start to slow the market. And the quotes perhaps have that possibility of doing that as well. Because obviously, as the agents start to see these results, each time they bring a new property to the market, that quote does have to be a little bit higher. Mm -hmm. Now, some of those results, as we all know, have happened because of a perfect storm of particular buyers in a particular market, a particular street even, at and the good same time. Exactly, and all of those factors. Um, after that buyer's board and that buyer's board and maybe a little bit more stock comes on, that result may not actually be repeatable. So how do you sort of see uh, agents managing that over the next few months as we start to get to this period where the quotes are higher and maybe the, the, the supply is a little bit greater?
0: Challenging. It is challenging, there's no question. So um, uh, I refer that to as a transition market. So what's actually happening is it's being um, at a certain level and then all of a sudden uh, there's a shift in it, right? So unfortunately you have reference points and reference points act as uh, a line in the sand for for a seller. What are some of the strategies that I see agents need to be doing to keep their vendors informed? and that is not using comparables of two months, using comparables of two days. Mm. You've got to be finding the transactions that have actually sold that week. So the frequency and the date of the reference points you're using have to be narrowed down. Mm. Very important. The second thing a vendor that's listening to this should be aware of is that if there is an easing of the market because it's being transitioned from here, not down to here, but sort of to here. softening. Softening. That's good news. That's good news. And the reason it's good news is that as a buyer, which most sellers are, you're gonna come through the other side with better choices for the properties that you're gonna be bidding on or putting offers in. You'll probably also get it at a better price. And if you're an upgrader, which many people are, you're probably going to be better off mm. because the one that you're going to buy has probably eased more mm. than the one you're going to sell. So you're actually in a better spot. But the average person doesn't look at it because they're looking at only one chapter of a two-chapter book. Yeah. The two chapters of the book is what I sell for and what I buy for and that's changeover number is how you're commercially impacted. But your average consumer is sitting there being quite myopic in the process because they're saying, I need to get a million. I need to get a million. I need to get a million, right? But they're not thinking, hang on a second, I don't have to pay 1.3 anymore. I can pay 1.25, right? So let's assume that, hey, I drop the sale of my property by 30 grand and I buy for 50 grand. Less, I'm actually 20 grand in front in a transition market. Mm. So it's good news.
2: And it's funny how they they look at it in a market like this. Like the, the number one thing I'm hearing in every market appraisal is Matt. I know the prices are hot, but if I sell, I'm going to be paying that. But I've noticed the same thing when I did work in a harder market, like after um, the Banking Royal Commission. That was was a really big transition. That was tough. And it was interesting that they had lost touch with that relativity that what they sell for, they'll end up buying in that lower market, which makes a big difference. But it's funny, the quote that I heard you say during that period has literally stuck with me the whole way through, which was making sure that you're in the market, not on the market. And it's something that I think of, even in a hot market, making sure that you're not pricing yourself outside of what would be considered you know, good value for that property.
0: Yeah, at any one time, you've either got vendors that are staying or vendors that are selling. And what I notice is the vendors that are staying are helping support the vendors that are selling yeah. because what they do is actually say, hey, look, that's a million, this is a good buy. Mm. So sooner or later, you've got to sort of, as a vendor, say... Am I going to be one that sells or one that stays?
2: Mm.